This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus. name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in the of Genesis, moving through the book of Genesis as well as we can. We are actually in in a in an interesting section where it's described geographically where the Garden of Eden was. <clears throat> and I want to note a couple of things because I think it's really important that you that you understand this and see this when you're studying the Bible. First of all, what's known as the Pentateuch or or the first five books of the Old Testament are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they were all written by Moses. The author of the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are written by Moses. Moses, if you'll just remember his life, before the first uh, the first four years, 40 years of his life, he grew up, not the, not all of them, because he, he was a Hebrew, and Pharaoh figured out that the Hebrews, the Semites, uh, were growing and becoming more and more powerful, and uh, he worried about that in the land of Goshen, and so he had all the firstborn boys, all the boys up to, I think, two, maybe three years old, killed. And if you'll remember the story, Moses' mother took him out to the Nile River and put him in a basket and floated him down the Nile River so that he would come across where Pharaoh's household bathed. And Pharaoh's sister actually found Moses in that basket and took him as her own because she had no children. And so Pharaoh was raised as a prince of Egypt which means he would have gotten all the education of an Egyptian prince. He would have got all the military education of an Egyptian prince, all the, all the architectural, all the mathematics, and all the history and geography because he would have known the area. He would have known the area around Egypt and Egypt's sphere of influence, which had gone deep into Ethiopia to the south and over all the way into the Sahara Desert and Libya and uh, that area to the to the west and then to the east. He would have understood the Arabian Peninsula and he would have understood the Middle East, the Canaanites, and all up into Assyria and uh, those areas. And so he would have known, boy, he would have known a lot about about the area that he lived in and uh, the history of that area, because obviously being a Pharaoh prince, not necessarily the crown prince, but being a Pharaoh prince, you would have been raised and educated in those things. And apparently he was somewhat of a great general, even though he did not have a great public speaking voice. He didn't speak very well. Moses was a, a considerable man of stature in Egypt. And he would have obviously been a perfect person to write the first five books of the of the Bible. And he would have been a perfect person as far as education and scholarship to, to tell the stories of the Bible. And when we're reading this, you got to remember Moses is reading this history, Moses is writing this history from actually a long time into the future, from when the events happen. 
but he's writing this history from oral tradition. He's writing this history inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's writing this history with with deep knowledge of the things that are happening around him and in the world that he lives in. And so it says, so when we read this, we need to understand that. And I say that because maybe I've not even mentioned that as we've been studying through the book of Genesis, but it's important right now because Moses mentions Moses in his, in, in the creation account, Moses understands that that geography and you can see Moses's personality in this he would have been somebody who would have made would have focused in on he would have focused in on on the geography of the area what was going on it says in verse 10 when it's talking about God placing a garden in Eden now a river went out of Eden to the water of the garden and from there it parted and became four riverheads and so apparently there was a <clears throat> there was a river that came out of Eden itself, a singular river, and then it broke off and became four riverhead out of Eden. Now, where do we don't know where Eden is? We don't have any idea where that is. You also need to remember when we're studying this, I think I discussed this a little bit last week, that that there were some major events that have happened geographically, seismically. In, in the world since this has taken place. So the areas that we're looking at and the places in the world that we're looking at are not, not necessarily the same, maybe not even close to the same as they were back then. So we could actually be thinking about things and looking at things that, that are not even close to the same. That being said, the last two rivers that are mentioned as these four riverheads break off, the last two rivers that are mentioned are rivers that we know. One of them is given its ancient name, and the other one's given the name that we know it by today. The real question is, what are the other two rivers? Because we know that the Tigris and Euphrates River, they have their origins up in the mountains, up in the area of land near near the border of Turkey and Iran, modern-day Turkey and Iran, and on up even farther north than that, on up into the Urals and the Caucasus. So we know that they have their beginning up there. Now, we're not also sure about the whole idea of this this word riverheads. We're not sure if that's that in all actuality, we're not sure if that speaks of the beginning or the end of the river where they meet. We we don't know where <clears throat> the word is an ancient word and we're not sure what it means. They can have their origin in one place and their riverhead at the where they go into the ocean or where they go into a place they could meet in the same place. And rivers uniting in Alabama, we have several rivers that come together and ultimately create a river that flows into the Mobile Bay and uh, Tallapoosa and the Tom Bigby Waterway, and they all come together in Alabama and uh, eventually flow out in the Mobile Mobile Bay. And we're not sure whether the Garden of Eden, whether the Garden of Eden was where they came together and flowed into, we're just not sure. And so the whole idea of the river, the Garden of Eden, and the whole idea of where these rivers were is not easy to define. Let me say that. The first one is the Pishon. And it is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good. Bedlam and onyx stone are there. And he is very particular about describing Pishon. And he, he talks about not only, not only <clears throat> what Havilah is, 
but he talks specifically about what kind of products that they mined there and that they found there. This would have, this is obviously speaks to Moses' understanding of history and geography and the world that he lived in. And most people think that this land of Havilah is, uh, is what is today the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. And apparently the river that he's talking about is a, is a river that circled the land, wherever that land was in the Arabian Peninsula. Now, we know that there's a huge riverbed that has been dry for millennia past that comes out of the middle of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula and pours into the Persian Gulf down about a third of the way south of the very top of the Persian Gulf. You can see that by satellite. And, and obviously, it's a riverbed but it's not had a river in it for a long time. And so there's not really any, there's not really any good information to know what really what the name of that river is. Many people believe that was the Pishon River. And many people believe that, that the land of Havilah that it's talking about is over in the Arabian Peninsula, especially over in the western side, all the way on the other side, where there is a lot of mining that goes on in that area. And that would have been right across from the right across the Red Sea from the Sinai Peninsula, and uh, it would have been really well known, extraordinarily well known to Moses. And maybe that's probably because the reason why he gives complete description of this river more than any other because he actually probably had more knowledge of that river than any other. The other river that is not known is the next river that's mentioned. And it would have been a river that Moses would have had some knowledge of. He actually, in my opinion, he actually names two rivers that that would have been closest to where he is, and he names them first. And the second river is called the Gihon. It says their na the name of the second river is the Gihon, and it was one which goes around the land of Cush. Now, the land of Cush is very interesting because the Cushites, the ancient Cushites, were in what is modern-day Ethiopia, and they were actually across. They had we have archaeological evidence of them being across the Red Sea, both in the Sinai Peninsula and in the very southern part of of the Arabian Peninsula. And so, when you kind of look at the map, you've got the you've got Africa, then you've got that small Sinai Peninsula. And then you've got the Arabian Peninsula, the giant Arabian Peninsula, which uh, sits over there, and then the Persian Gulf on the other side. When you look at that map, that, that, that river, it says, went all through the land of Cush. And whenever you mention the word Cush, I, especially when you're talking about Moses, I always think of the story of Moses and he took a Cushite bride, bride when they were in, when they were in in the wilderness, which is the Sinai, which is the Sinai Peninsula, when they were across the Red Sea in the Sinai, he took a Cushite wife, and his mother and his brother—I mean, his brother and his sister—didn't like Aaron. And my mind's just gone blank. Aaron and his sister, Moses' sister, they didn't like that that Moses took a Cushite wife. Why? Because the Cushites were dark-skinned; they were black. And, and you go, didn't the Mosaic law say that they're not supposed to take people from other races and intermarry? No. He said he, they're not supposed to marry anybody who wasn't a Jew. Okay. And you go, how were they a Jew? The way they were Jews because the Hebrews were not the only slaves in Egypt at the time of uh, the slavery in the 400 year, 440 years of slavery 
Yeah, that's right, Mom. It's Miriam. The 440 years of slavery in Egypt, they were not the only slaves in Egypt. Obviously, the Egyptians would have had Ethiopian slaves because they were the nation to the south. And that's where the Nile River has its origin. And they would have been, they would have been slaves in, in, in Egypt. And they would have, they, this woman very likely and most probably had become a Jew. She had taken on the Jewish culture. She'd become a part of the Jewish people. Her parents may have actually done that. And she might have actually been been raised in in the Hebrew people as a Jew, even though she might have been a lot darker skinned. Now, you got to remember, the Jewish people were probably darker skinned than the Jewish people that we know today in America. But, But we do know even today that there are Jews in Ethiopia who are from what we would call African descent. And, and so she was a she was a African descent Hebrew woman who Moses married and Miriam and Aaron didn't like her. they didn't like that that intermarrying of races and uh, the story finishes that God called them before the tent also and if you remember back over the last week we've talked about not being called in front of the tent because that's that's a bad thing he called them in front of the tent and gave them leprosy and Moses had to pray for them. those of you who have been taught over the years that God's against interracial marriage. The great story of the Old Testament that proves that's clearly not right is the story of Moses taking a Cushite wife. And it's a good story. It's a really good story. You ought to study it. But but Cush was an ancient people, and that those ancient peoples both had uh, territory in Ethiopia and had territory in the Sinai and had territory in the Arabian Peninsula, and we've archaeological evidence of them. And so you go, what does that matter? It matters because we don't know that the Red Sea actually was the Red Sea when when God created uh, the earth, when God reformed the earth in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. We don't know that the, even the uh, Red Sea was there, and it is a fairly shallow sea in many places. And so in those places, it could have not even been a sea. It could have been dry land. And so those Cushite people could have ruled those areas and not been across the sea from each other. And we don't know that. <clears throat> and when the Bible doesn't, doesn't tell us something, it leaves it open. We don't, we're not dogmatic about our assumptions about the Bible. We're only dogmatic about what the Bible clearly states in Scripture is its purpose and intent. And so we don't know what that is. We don't know where that river is. But it went all the way around, so we don't know if it went around from the south and would have come up in the Persian Gulf that way or went around to the north and even come in on the other side of the next two rivers, which it could have very well have done. It could be actually a part of what we right now understand is the modern-day Jordan River. It could have went all the way around where Israel is, starting near the Red Sea, and went all the way around to the north and could have actually come in and been a part of the Jordan River all the way to the north. And and we know that there were likely a river there because the Dead Sea is nearby, and the Dead Sea, the Jordan River pours in the Dead Sea, and it doesn't pour into anywhere else. So there was a strong likelihood at some point in time that there was a river that emptied into an ocean somewhere around there. And so we don't we can't be dogmatic about it because we don't know. But there's a strong likelihood that, the, that he says it goes that that river that came out of Cush could have gone all the way around and come in to the to the Persian Gulf from the north. And then you have the other two rivers. And then it says the name of the third river is El, which is actually the ancient name for the Tigris River. And we know that from archaeology. That's an ancient name for the Tig- Tigris River. It's been used in many ancient 
texts, extra biblical texts that are not biblical. So we do know that Hidekel is the ancient name for for the Euphrates, uh, for the Tigris River. And then it says, and it is the one that goes toward the east of Assyria. And then the fourth river is the Euphrates. And everybody knows Euphrates because it is the mighty Euphrates. And it's the one that runs through what we call modern day Iraq and goes into the Red Sea. I mean, goes into the Persian Gulf along with the, Euphr- the Tigris River, not too far from each other. And when you look at the map, you can see that there's a likelihood that those four rivers unite in the Persian Gulf. Or you could say their riverheads could have actually had their beginning and start up in the mountains near near Turkey and modern-day Iran, all the way up into what would have been the stands, the, the Kurdistan and all that kind of area, that, not Kurdistan, but the area north of Turkey and, and, and Iran. So where is Eden? The scriptures are not clear enough for us to know because of those two ancient rivers. But there's a strong likelihood that Eden was either up in the mountains, and the mountains way up to the north of Turkey and Iran up there, or it's at the bottom of the Persian Gulf. And if you had to, if you had to, if you had to put a, if I had to put a million dollars on it, I would say that there's a strong likelihood that it's in the Persian Gulf, that it's at the bottom of the Persian Gulf. But can I be for sure about that? Can I be absolutely for sure about that? No. And I don't know. And here's the problem. We're going to find out that the river's, the river's guarded. The way to Eden is guarded by cherubim. And I'm going to tell you, if you put four cherubim over the over the Jordan, over over Eden, and to guard the gates to Eden, not all the armies of the earth could get in. And so that if one angel in just one evening can kill 180,000 Syrians, Assyrian soldiers, and probably did it with ease, I'm going to guess that four cherubs would be able to handle all the armies of the earth fairly quickly. You're not going to be able to get there, so there's no use in actually going to look for it. We know that the Bible speaks of it. It existed, and uh, that's where God God placed Adam and Eve. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow as a part of our Bible study. But it was geographically, in my opinion, it's somewhere in the Middle East, most likely at the bottom of the Persian Gulf, could quite possibly be up in the mountains north of in the northern part of Iran and Turkey, along that border, as you go up into that area of the world. But it could also be somewhere on the Arabian Peninsula that we don't know about. And just speculating as to where it is, I do know that Moses was a great historian, and he did a great job of writing history. He was a great writer. He did a great job of documenting what God had done with his people. And uh, he's clear as to his stories, and he's very specific as to where Eden was, which indicates that he understood the area that Eden was in, even if today we don't understand it because things have changed and the world has changed since that day. And I just trust it. I look at it. I say, I'm glad that God is very specific at times and telling me stuff to let me know that he knows what he's talking about. And uh, even though I may not have knowledge or information in those areas, I can find it, but I can trust that what God's doing He's doing perfectly, and he's doing it excellently, and he's doing it well. And if he's doing it well for the big things, he's a God of the little things also, as we can tell from his word. And so I'm thankful that he's a God of little things because he takes care of us, and we are very small compared to him. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, 
and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.